welcome to the We're All Fucked podcast hosted by me, Derry Owen. And me, Dan's Grace. This is a podcast designed to try and take a light-hearted take on the ridiculousness of society as we know it and wonder how we all find a way to carry on, even though we know deep down we're all fucked. Each episode, we'll be looking at a particular topic, having a laugh and a cry along the way, dragging along a few guests with us for the ride. Remember to rate us and subscribe so you never miss our rounds. Well, hello, Dewey. And, how are you, Dan? Good evening, good evening. Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. And uh, and hey, David, how, how are you keeping? Fine, thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me on, guys. No problem at all. No problem at all. No begging uh, involved, was there, David? No begging or pleading or bribery. <laughs> Can you just make that clear? <laughs> As I'm saying to Dan, I'm a, I'm a man of leisure these days, so uh, happy to have something to do. <laughs> Fills it in the diary. What, what would you be doing on a Thursday otherwise? Uh, watching some rubbish streaming on the telly, probably, to be honest, at the moment. <laughs> well, what I think we're trying to do with this is is have a, a bit of an interview or a guest kind of per topic that we've covered so i think this this week uh david i can't i can't remember for the life of me what your job title was before you retired yeah well i'll i'll, I'll give a, a quick quick very quick resume then so um so yeah so uh, my name's david o'neill and actually i started in bristol um oh. back in ni- 1982 at the bristol royal infirmary um with my training in the pathology laboratories um, and qualified as, well, it wasn't called it then, it's gone through a few name changes, but eventually ended up as a, as a state registered biomedical scientist. Okay. Um, so I've worked for the best part of 40 years in the NHS pathology service, um, which is a bit of a Cinderella service, really. You know, it's, it's there in the background. Um, it's actually completely vital. Um, yeah. Without a pathology service, you can't have any acute services. So no, no full A&E, no ICU, no surgery. Um, so, you know, it, it is a, a really vital service. But most people have even working within the NHS have got, got a vague idea. They collect some samples and they send them off somewhere and some results come back. And, yeah. and their knowledge is not huge beyond that, really. <laughs> um, it's just like a like, literally a conveyor belt of blood. blood. Uh, blood vials yeah. that come like like a chicken factory week yeah, you know, um, test it, it quick it is quite amazing actually because it's actually a collection of different disciplines different departments that all come under the umbrella term of pathology so my particular bit that i, I specialized in originally with is biochemistry um but then there's there's hematology and transfusion um infection sciences and then the um cellular pathology or histopathology department and all doing slightly different things. But even even in a district general hospital like we have locally here, the biochemistry department will be churning out um, probably about somewhere in the region of six and a half million results a year. Um, so there's phenomenal work um, done in, in terms just of sheer numbers. Um, and as a department, it's, it's, a, it's a huge user of uh, IT, for instance, crunching all those numbers. Uh, and sending back results and you know it's it's a it's a busy old place um but as i say you know it's not not it's one of those sort of cinderella ones that don't get uh get talked about um even less so than say somewhere like radiology mm. um people have a vague idea that they you know they get x-rays and so or they have to have a certain urgent ct scan of the head or something there's some interaction directly with patients 
which is not the case for most uh, pathologies. So people don't really know who they are. It's just, you know, we'll do some tests and some samples go off and some results. I always come. thought like, that job sounds similar. You know, like I was thinking about when you turn up to like a, a gig or a festival, like you're there and you see all these bands playing on the on the stage and all the uh, the people watching. But the amount of work that's gone on in the back, you know, like the sound, engineering, the stage erection, none of it would happen without yeah. that. Yeah, but I suppose no. that's similar to you, isn't it? With, with that, without all yeah. that straight production, one of the background, all the wires being wired, then you can't see the consultants on the stage, I suppose, doing what, yeah. you know, on the front line. Well, uh, it, it's often said, mostly within pathology, um, that <laughs> somewhere in the region of 80% of, of interactions, certainly on the, uh, on the hospital side, um, involve pathology so either discussing results or taking samples so that there's an involvement in, in something like 80 percent of, of the inca- clinical encounters so yeah it, it's it's huge um but okay. yeah, so just uh, an up for, for for one of those uh many many other 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 job roles that, that, that go on so say so i started in in bristol um and then ended up moving to to north devon um which is where i've spent most of my time um and then quite a number of years ago um i changed tack slightly uh, and moved into point of care testing so that's doing all of the pathology style testing uh, but out on the wards and in the community so the bits of kit they were using um so selecting them in the first place training on them um keeping them running um and uh across the, the, a pretty big geographical area here uh, that we, we cover. Um, and of course, recently that's involved things like putting in uh, rapid um, COVID testing into our A&Es and uh, day surgery units and into a drive-through and all sorts of things like that. Um, and also um, the acute care side, there's, there's uh, the requirement for blood gases. So all those, those sorts of things of what I, what I ended up looking after. Yeah. How um, how many years did you do the point of care stuff for then? Um, I oh quite a number. I started. I was always doing that when I was here, um, but originally it was just part of my job, um, and that just grew and grew and grew to the point where it was just not possible to, to keep doing both. So yeah. we a, a separate department was created, and I was given the choice whether to to stay where I was and drop doing point of care or to to move across and and do point of care full time. So I've been doing that since uh, 2008. Oh wow! Okay, okay. So I went. Yeah. So, Almost yeah. then. So you've you've listened to our NHS episode, then David. I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Um, anything in there that properly struck a chord with you, or or anything that thought did we get anything wrong? Anything you disagreed with? No, yeah. no, not at all. Um, I, I, you know, it's... Because we are two mumbling fools. We, we say that every week. We are two mumbling fools. We have yes. no stats. We have no it's, qualifications. It's one of the we fun have, things about have internal it. pain. speak out I, I of our asses and not be called on yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think one of the things is, you know, it's, it is obvious, but it, it's still something that can be hard to get your mind around just how big the NHS is. Mm. Uh, as an organization you know and it, it again i can't remember where we are on the rankings but it's it's something like one of the, the fifth biggest employer in the world you know it's it's, mm, yeah, it's massive. That. yeah um and it's doing a very complex job so it's a complicated thing so um it, you know and it, it's something that's easy to knock 
and it falls foul of um, of statistics in a way, you know, because yeah. and that's that's something again that you see a lot now is there's lots of negative stories about the NHS. Yeah. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist in many things, but you do start to wonder after a while. <laughs> um, if there is a bit of a bit of something going on with that um because again you know you look at even the horrendous cases that you think yeah that should never have happened that, that was quite horrible but when you're dealing with millions and millions of of interactions pretty much on a daily basis um you know one case however tragic is you know tiny yeah. and it's not to yeah. say we shouldn't learn from it and it isn't horrendous and all the rest of it yeah, but they're never going to have a news story said 3,000 operations went to plan today at the Royal Infirmary. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, just dressed. And, you, yeah. and you don't, I mean, I, I guess that's a general thing, you know, that people say, isn't it? You don't, you don't hear the positive stuff in the news. It's the negative stuff that, that, hit, that makes the headlines. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I do think it's easy to forget. And there's a lot about the NHS failing everybody and, and all the rest of it sort of narrative at the moment, yeah. rather than the NHS is being failed. Um, yeah. So basically I mean, what you're I saying, think, and, oh, sorry, Dan, go on. But I think a, a really good illustration of that is the reaction that everyone had to, do you remember on, was it on Tuesday nights, knocking the pans to, you know, for the, for the, for the NHS, yeah. everyone going out. And then, you know, once COVID dies down um, and, and during COVID, you know, obviously millions of people sort of thinking, oh, I'm not sure, really sure on the vaccine. Oh, I'm not really sure. You know, I, I don't want to stay inside. I think I'm going to go outside. I don't really want to wear a mask. And and people didn't kind of connect the dots between I care about the NHS. Maybe I should do my bit to try and, you know, I mean, the government might not be telling me to stay inside. The government might not give a shit about where I, whether I wear a mask or not. But if you look at other countries and you look at the rate of deaths that they're experiencing, maybe it'd be sensible to kind of implement your own personal um, common sense methods of of how not to spread death and destruction throughout the UK. Yeah. yeah. And, and going for your uh, eat out to help out. Um, <laughs> pretty <laughs> that might be helping out spreading of a virus rather than. <laughs> so when you think back, you know when it when it was launched, I'm thinking, oh okay. But now you're looking back, you think, what in the name? Oh, uh, at least he didn't try to become prime minister, eh? Yeah. Jesus yeah. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. he thought to help out here. Yeah, looking back, it's the same. But you're talking about people helping the NHS, but. I, you're starting to speak with people now. Luckily, most of it's in the rearview mirror. And I'm all, you're already. I spoke to the guy the other day. Obviously, my job. I go to people's homes and I speak to a lot of them. And there was a guy. Oh yeah, I had I had COVID uh, about six weeks ago, mm. and oh, I was I was I was, I was really unwell with it. Uh, and he said, God knows what my uh, what my outcome would have been if I hadn't had my three vaccines. Uh, and then, literally five minutes later, he said, um, I've just been. Uh, I've just been invited for my booster because obviously he was like, I think, late 60s. Yeah, Yeah. well, or something. Yeah, of course. Uh, And to be honest with you, I didn't want to go for it. Uh, but sp- I, I've got a holiday home in Spain, so I've got to go for it to go over there. <laughs> you just said it saved your life. Yeah. You, again, you don't want. Obviously, I didn't say anything. I was just there like that and had another <laughs> panic attack in the van. But Jesus, it's oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's so bizarre but you know the amount of people that have been like that is quite terrifying really um but yeah yeah i just let's get that yeah, one out there but, 
I, I want to ask the question when you said in the beginning, you, know, you said you're not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, um, but you've got, got to wonder, what do you mean by that? Do you, do you mean that the way the media portrays the NHS yeah. and, and the way they report the negativity? And do you reckon there's a, well, we could all argue what it probably is, but do you reckon there is a, a rationale behind the, the reason they're I doing think, that? I, I think I still would, would hesitate to call it a um, a conspiracy or a really... You know, I don't. I don't think there's people meeting in a in a pizza hut somewhere planning, um, <laughs> the, the, planning all this. But I think there is a general push um, to chip away, um, and you know whether it's not quite getting to the extremes of disaster uh, politics, so people can come riding in on the white horse and and save the day as it all it's all falling apart. But it's kind of heading in that direction. I think it's the direction of travel thing, and it's. You know anything that kind of supports that narrative of oh dear look you know it's a terrible state and we need we must do something about this and the and then the private companies can be sort of the, the supposed white horses that are going to come in yeah. and save the day regardless of the fact that and it's only personal experience and, and talking to colleagues and things but whenever I've seen anything involving private companies coming in to to save the day or otherwise. They've never really delivered what the the expectation was. Please give us um, some examples, Dave. Go for it. I, I'm, yeah, I, mean, I, I need you know, to start these stories. Probably Hinchinbrook Hospital. Okay. Uh, so the hospital that was that wasn't doing too well on the uh, um, CQC type uh, inspections and what have you, and ended up being taken over by Circle. I think it was the the private company that that took that over. Um, and um, took over a whole trust. They took over the whole hospital. Yeah, the hospital. Um, ran it for a relatively short period of time. Uh, lo and behold, didn't pan out, and they just kind of threw their hands up and walked away. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then the NHS, of course, has to step in and uh, and pick up the pieces. Um, similarly, we had an out of hours uh, doctor's service in Cornwall. Um, similar story. Um, took it over, all supposed to be, you know, so much better, and it's all going to be fabulous, and all the rest of it. Disaster area, and again, just folded and and handed back. Walk there you away. go. Sort that out. Oh shit! Uh, I can't make a profit here. Let's yeah. go back to pizza. <laughs> and, and sort of keep on planning. <laughs> more on the, an area that, that that's my my sort of area. Um, you know, we've got a we've got a private laboratory uh, that's gone into collaboration with a with a local trust. What they've done though is, it's a combination, and I believe it's of the likes of Sodexo and um, a, a a German private lab company called Synlab, and they've set up. But it's it's a, it's a legally separate entity. So again, yeah. at some point they go, yeah, don't like this. They can fold that. To bin it, yeah. Um, and again, it's just going to be, oh, there you go, NHS, sort that yeah. mess out. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and from a laboratory point of view, this is something, because we are this sort of separate entity and, and perhaps don't have the profile that members of the public are going to start jumping up and down and about uh, selling us off. As it, we've had thick rounds of, of supposed being uh, taken over by private companies for years. And we go through this cycle um and that sort of combines the two areas that, that i was mentioning to you guys of about change but also privatization 
where it's supposedly uh, uh, you know going to deliver something and let's just very crudely say say uh, a lab was doing a test and they were doing a million of them a year and they're costing a pound a go and a private lab saying oh we're going to set up down the road we can do that test uh, for 50p so somebody gets all excited oh that's half a million pounds saving just on that one test well hey you know we'll go for that but the trouble is when you start to look at it, it that's not how it works because again complicated big <laughs> yeah well the fuckers making that decision have no idea no, and, and you get you know yeah. hopefully you get across the message and they when they start to look at it but actually for a lab the the way that things have been designed the work that's done from the hospital trust that the lab sits in yeah. is effectively an expenditure because they get a slice of the of the budget for that hospital and the income is from the gp work so if you then take that GP work, which is the cold work, which is what you can send down the road, if you take that away, you're taking away the income from the lab. So all you're doing then is making the work that the lab's doing, because they're still having to do that test, considerably more expensive per test. Yeah. So as the NHS as a whole, you suddenly are taking a huge bite out of how much you're saving. Yeah. And then they normally don't negotiate contracts terribly well. So you know they get well down the road, and then they go, all right, okay. Um, and, and the company says, oh, you know, what? how many transports are you going to have? Oh, hang on, I thought you were going to do the No, no, you, you, we can do the transport for you, but that would be an extra. <laughs> oh, okay. So so that's now 60p a test. Yeah, okay. Oh, and you want the results to come back to your system? Oh, we'll have to get an IT link up for that. Oh, that's another 20p a test. <laughs> you know it. If you had actually gone down that road, not only are you getting a worst service because some of your records aren't getting back and it's all a bit of a mess and nobody knows where the samples are, it's actually costing you more money. So you've ended up with the worst service, costing you more money, and that great chunk of money has gone out of the healthcare economy into the private sector. So yeah, and to foreign companies as well. So it's not even coming back into our economy, is it? It's the oh. same if you're getting German companies, American companies involved. You can't even argue, well, at least it's in the treasury. It's not. It's literally <laughs> siphoned off to another bloody country. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, those, those sorts of things are what I what I see. We've had um, uh, GU services and paediatric services and various other things that have been run by the likes of Virgin Healthcare and various other people that at best have not done any better than the private, uh, the um, public provision. Basically, it sounds and, to me like there's basically almost zero risk, is there, to the private company? They could just waltz in, use the staff, I'm guessing, they'll two pay over. Well, and the if they thing, can't yeah. make money out of it, they literally just, all right, then, bye-bye. Yeah. And that's a bizarre because, thing in a way. We, we then, can do this so much cheaper, but they end up using the same staff, which they've two peed over, Quite often the same premises which they 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 lease. Yeah. Um, Equipment. And, and, <laughs> and you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. If that company thinks they can do that and actually make a profit, why, why can't, on we? can't we do that? Of course, yeah. yeah. And pump um, the money back in. Yeah. Or at least keep <laughs> it within within the yeah. NHS. Yeah, 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 no, exactly. It's a, it these companies like a they parasite. Can say, they don't literally take any, they don't lose any face because they still operate is they, underneath the NHS or they all set up a subsidiary and then if it tanks the contract, they just liquid, uh, liquefy that. that. <laughs> yeah. and, you get, and you get other problems as well around things like training. So I remember talking to somebody and they're saying that they're orthopaedic surgeons. All of the operations that they would 
normally as junior doctors cut their teeth on, if you like, were being done by a private um, orthopaedic hospital. Um, so their junior staff were having difficulty doing getting the experience and training um, because that bit had been hived off and the only ones that have been still being done by their local NHS orthopedic team were the more complicated stuff. So they were having to basically watch and assist rather than do. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, there, there's an issue around that of of the NHS training staff and yeah. it being and then being taken away to to private, but also just in effect interfering with uh, with with training uh, because they're not able to cut the teeth on the on the basic stuff because there aren't very many private intensive care units around the place. So you know, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the NHS gets all the all the complicated and all the disasters. Yeah. end up in the nhs yeah <laughs> and of course <laughs> somebody's a private hospital it all goes horribly wrong having their hip done let's say um they'll get shipped off to an icu in the nhs and if it all goes horribly wrong and they end up dying then they end up on the stats of the nhs hospital not the stats of the, of the private <laughs> spy your healthcare. yeah <laughs> did you watch the this is going to hurt or have you read this is going to hurt I, I saw part of the first one, I think, um, but um, I don't know. It, when you when you've spent a good chunk of your day, <laughs> yeah, sweating some back room in A and E, you want to come and watch ambulance <laughs> programs and whatever. So Do I probably will get around to to either reading the books or or, or watching it. Um, along with the uh, the other one, a, a, a similar ilk, I think, is, is Secret Barrister. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, which I think would be uh, would be an interesting uh, read as well. No, for sure, for sure. I've got a I've got a Secret Barrister book on my to be read shelf. Um, the reason why I mentioned this is going to hurt is because it's got a scene that was pretty much exactly as you described. A woman goes in for to have her birth in hospital, and the private hospital is gorgeous. They've got organic chickpeas and all the rest of it and a lovely spa area and all the rest of it and then there's the people you know helping her don't know the rasp from their elbow and she very quickly gets rushed through to the obs and gynae department of the local uh, nhs hospital and it's it's yeah it's terrifying um i think to what extent do you think that i'm not saying individual members of, of the public are to blame but i feel like there's a movement of kind of jumping ship because people are watching the NHS collapse and they don't want to go on a waiting list. They, you know, if they've got a GP appointment, they don't want to be part of the 9am queue to ring up and desperately hope that they get through 50 quid, 30 quid, wherever it is now when you get straight through to a GP on your phone in your living room. How much of a factor do you think that kind of issue is? I, I think it's, it's going to become increasingly a problem. And I think, again, it's part of that direction of travel. I think we'll see the Americanization to a certain extent. And, you know, maybe I, I already know that my one of my relatives that's worked in, in the financial uh, sector in London, um, his company uh, offered um, private healthcare cover and private sort of yearly checkups and, and different things. And I think that's going to become more common. Um, and it all, again, it's, it's just all uh, chips away because it tends to be it get creaming off the, 
It's going to normalise it, isn't it? It's normalising it in a very dangerous way. And you said the same earlier about privatisation, that stealthy way that it doesn't happen overnight. It just creeps up and before you know it, you're like, hold on. Schools. (laughs) You know, I think if we abolished all the public schools in the country and all the people with the money and and the power were having to send their kids to state school or send them overseas, I think we'd have a different school system. And I think, you know, there's a danger that we end up in a similar situation with with healthcare um and and we end up with a two-tier system yeah, um, yeah that's not really surprising because all the links between um senior government and, and america and they still sort of put forward america as as you know the, the way to do things yeah. and that's one of the changes that that i saw go through during my career is all this internal market idea that we were we were going to have um, this system where you chop everything up into into small uh, trusts and they all compete with each other and actually you know you got situations where you would be exchanging information and data with your local trusts because it's commercially sensitive it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's just insane yeah but yeah. the worst part of that for me was the fact that it because it wasn't a, a, a true commercial system, the money didn't really follow the patients. So, again, it never worked. But there was all the admin <laughs> to, to keep track of all that and come up with all those all those bits of information that that had to be set up and had to be run, which yeah. sucked in huge resource. Bringing in those changes, and this is sort of a general theme about change. It's again. It's it's sucked in an enormous amount of resource from clinical staff to discuss that and implement it, and and you know, and and it's not clinically productive time, you know. Yeah. And what did that all deliver? Well, not a lot because it kind of got dropped, you know. Yeah. It's it's just in, insane to be spending all that time and effort on these changes. I mean, do you remember Choose and Book? You know. No. So. So the idea was that little Doris, who needed a, a hip operation to so stay with, with hip operation, went along to a GP and kind of internet shopped. So <laughs> there was league tables for surgeons, and she was supposed to have a look and 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 pick which one that she wanted <laughs> to to go. So that whole system of league tables and the choose and book system was all put there so they could do that. Well, of course. Doris wanted to go in. The first thing she's likely to say is, oh, I don't know. What do you think, doctor? Yeah. For, yeah. for one thing. And then at the end of the day, it doesn't take a genius to work out what she wants is a local hospital to, to be able to provide a decent level of service so that she could have visitors and wasn't that far from home. That's what yeah. she wants. She doesn't want to go from, from North Devon to Newcastle because the guy up there is the head of the league table. Yeah, you know, <laughs> where, where is this ideological change coming from? Then is it coming directly in our government? But is it coming from the Minister of Health? Is it these corporate through the stealth of privatization? Have you got these corporate mega fucks in there that are trying to well, change think, people to a commercial way, even though they're not necessarily yeah. been asked to do it? That's the way they think it's the best. Or where does it all come from? Because the, it, the it, question for you, because you've been there for such a long time, which is obviously a similar question to this, you'll have been a part, you know, the 90s Labour government, fair enough, Blairite Labour before then. Is there a fundamental change when there is a change of government from Labour to Conservatives or generally the same as just minor changes? No, I think we see 
see it much more with the with the conservative uh, government um and its changes that make it possible for private companies to come in you know back in the day it all started with outsourcing was the buzzword and yeah. that was that was the uh, sort of um cleaners and quartering staff and and the maintenance staff and catering stuff you know so it's slowly eaten away then they changed it so that you could have you know companies that come in and have the little tv screens over the bed you know that that if you're not careful and you make the phone call incorrectly or watch a film or something you suddenly got this bill you know um and all these sort of things have oh, just yeah. i didn't think about well, that tv <laughs> sort of creep in and we we went from, you know, even in the language. So we went from situations where you're always referring to patients as patients, that they wanted you to refer to them as as clients or <laughs> services, you know, patients, you know. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's this sort of general try and make the ethos more around. And it's kind of, there's elements of it you think you know it should be more patient focused it should be you know no just to be the nhs constitution you know no decision about me without me type thing yeah um which is all very commendable but again it's a bit a bit like a lot of other things where your average person doesn't have the knowledge to necessarily make a lot of those decisions so you've got to try and make it an informed uh opinion but at the end of the day, they're still probably going to defer to their doctor or whatever because they're kind of they're the experts and they're hoping that they know what they're doing. <laughs> um, so in, the whole idea was, was, you know, to me, you just think, well, what, what are they actually think is going to happen here? You know, and it's just spending lots of money, but it opens up opportunities for private companies, whether they're IT companies or data analytics company or whatever to 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 be pulled in um and lobbying going on a procurement you know became so convoluted and it's weird because it's a little bit boiling frog it 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 become more and more complex over time and the different ways you could procure things and all the rest of it so i had a bit bits of equipment that that were sort of uh the, the key acute thing that i looked after which were blood gas analyzers that were used in the likes of A&E and ICU um, to check people's um, uh, oxygen and carbon dioxide status and that sort of thing. And they did lots of other things as well. Well, not surprisingly, COVID being a respiratory disease, mad rush to buy them. And as it happened, I'd not long before replaced all the ones in the trust. That had taken about 18 months or so of this procurement process of all these stages you had to go through and sending out and getting responses and scoring and blah 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 blah. mad panic magic word covid i ordered more within two hours <laughs> so think, what the hell you know <laughs> okay yes you want to be careful with public money but if i can really do this in two hours in this situation why in the hell are we yeah. spending 18 months and because i did it in conjunction with other trusts in the area trying to sort of get better deals and things you know all these meetings and all the rest of it and even though a lot of them were done over teams and, and what have you yeah. it's still <laughs> a lot of time and effort to go through and hoops yeah. to jump through and you know but apparently you just go yeah, i'll have that one um yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and is that all of that stuff 
actually delivering benefit and that's you know something within laboratories that we've we've had is you know a sort of updated version of time in motion if you like but lean was was this this thing where basically every stage in the process what you were doing had to add value if you didn't add value then don't do it yeah um, but i don't think that principle has been applied to the changes we've seen within the nhs and they haven't looked at a problem and gone okay well what are our possible options um and then picked the the, the best option it's, they sort of tied themselves up in knots uh, and one of the, that though because i always think about that when you're looking at all these you know bureaucracy or anything in it there's loads of jobs attached to that isn't there and the, getting rid of the process means getting rid of jobs when that person's in charge of that job, he's always going to try, or she's going to try and protect that job. No, this job is needed. You know, I need procuring the same money. How, how much of an issue is that? So there's um, nobody actually coming in there and saying, "Right, you fuck, fuck off." You haven't got bloody reasons you know, to exist. You get, it's similar to the the two piece scenario with the with the privatisation. You know, is for instance, we we had primary care trusts. Um. Then they decided that they, you know, another buzz thing, they wanted to purchase and provide a separation. So we went oh from <laughs> primary care. Something you'd write down. Fuck off. We went from primary care clinical commissioning groups. Yeah. Okay. So they're the ones that are getting um, a good chunk of the money from the, the Department of Health to actually uh, purchase the services required for their local population. Yeah. But what you found is that, again, all huge upheaval, went through all these changes and all the rest of it. And the people who were the senior people in the PCT, funnily enough, ended up as the senior people in the CCG. <laughs> um, but, of course, they were probably paid <laughs> redundancy <laughs> at PCT role and then ended up doing pretty much the same thing in the CCG role. Yeah. And then like the bloody they- banking regulators going to work for Goldman Sachs. You know, yeah. it's, uh, and then and then they decide on oh, no, the CCGs are a bit too small, so they start to merge, um, and we go through this whole thing again. And now they're changing again to um, integrated care organisations, <laughs> integrated care systems. You know, so, and again, all of this change costs vast amounts of money, vast amounts of resource. What does it actually deliver? But it justifies somebody's job, don't they? They tell them, oh, I'm revolutionising the NHS here. I'm creating this thing. And it's just, they're just constantly reinventing the job. And then they do that. Oh, shit, I've got to think about something. I'll rename pens, ink, dispensers, you know, or whatever. You know, I've looked at Doris and she's finally got a hip operation. She's on the ward. What all this change actually delivered to her? How has that improved her? outcomes her experience you know and I, I struggle to see how any of that has actually been of benefit, benefit. yeah yeah um, no, absolutely absolutely do you feel do you feel that the nhs is going to live to see a hundred i i'm i am seriously concerned about it um which you know it's it's always had if i'm going back to where we started it's a hugely big and complex organizations it's always going to be difficult and you're always going to you know struggle to find the the best way to, to to run things but i think there is a real danger that if we're not careful that through a combination of creeping privatization media battering to 
make people think that, you know, oh, there's no choice now, you know, it's gotten to such a state we're going to have to do. Um, through those sort of combinations of things, that there is a real danger that we're going to end up slipping into a situation where maybe it doesn't disappear, but yet we do end up with that sort of two-tier system. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, you know, that is, is something which is fundamentally wrong as far as I'm concerned. That that principle of free of the point of care, available to everybody, it, I, yeah. should be sacrosanct. But yeah. we are in danger of that slipping away um, if we're not careful and we don't actually stand up for it. Yeah, I think I think for for me, I think the kind of the two biggest things that are sort of the big, I don't know, the death knell of the NHS or or the kind of one of the last last raspy croaks is the co, co the way that COVID was handled in the UK, and then much more recently the energy crisis, because I feel that both of those have been used and manipulated for political goals where they you know i mean one of the questions i wanted to ask you is whether you saw we we always hear about this dodgy private money or, or money to kind of friends of the government and to deliver on covid contracts i wonder whether you'd seen any of that yourself in terms of covid testing and all the rest of that um yeah i think it was you know notoriously you know probably the the, the ppe side of things was the um there just seems to have been some incredibly dodgy stuff going on uh, <laughs> with that. Um, I think, you know, you, you, just, to, you know, to be fair, <laughs> um, uh, as much as possible as you can, it was a global, uh, it still is to certain extent, a global uh, pandemic. So everybody's yeah. after the same stuff, which created an enormous pressure on getting getting things. So that, that creates a, a panic. So yeah. the bits of equipment like I was talking about earlier, the, the blood gas machines in the early days, there was a huge panic to for everybody to get hold of additional ones of those. Um, and so managing to procure those at all was was, you know, difficult. A, a, a difficult thing. And getting hold of them was good. Um there were some bad choices made there because people were so panicked. And they didn't actually know how things were going to go and what we were going to be dealing with. So they're trying to be prepared so i ended up buying kit that basically sat in a, in a cupboard mm-hmm. um and um the biggest waste of money was probably the excel center um yeah. so that pulled in a huge amount of this those sort of supplies i'm talking about well, i think the most patients they ever had in there was something like 14 um but because it was geared up to deal with these thousands yeah. um they they needed all these resources, so they pulled all those in there, and they just sat on the shelves and went time expired and got binned. Yeah, and they, some of that stuff um, is point of care, funnily enough, and it's um, you know there was like eight pound a shot. Yeah, and, uh, and they had thousands of those that just got binned because they yeah. would have gone time expired. So you know. It might be unfair with hindsight to say, well, that was a bad move. (laughs) (laughs) But there's undoubtedly a lot of money that was wasted there. We did get some bits of kit which just didn't seem um, up to the task, um, which you you wondered why we ended up with those. But again... I'm going to give an example, or like a see-through apron or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm not going to be more 
complex kit, you know, I, I had a particular device that was supposed to be um, to go into our A&E for, for COVID testing. Now, that was fairly obviously not going to be a, a runner. It did one test at a time and it took two hours. Um, and the other slight snag is it never really worked. Slight <laughs> snag. <laughs> <laughs> Slight snag. Um, but the government gave that company a contract of uh, over five million quid um, <laughs> to to put those in. Um, and if you could have a large bank of them with a specialist person running them, then that's probably fine and and kind of viable. Yeah. But for 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 somewhere like our hospital, it was just just a non-starter. But because it was allocated from central government. Um, we were kind of obliged to give it a go. Yeah. Um, wasted a lot of time and effort uh, <laughs> before we just gave up on it, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there were definitely some some failures, but I think it was really around the the PPE and the the VIP routes and all that 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 were the, the really iffy things on that more so than the the testing. By, I mean, by the sounds of it, it's a kind of combo of we prepared for the end of the world and the end of the world didn't happen. And therefore, oh, it's a waste of time. But, you know, that that is kind of, you know, I mean, no one would want want the COVID situation to be worse than it was on the justification that all of that equipment did find its uses. It was just, I think, I I think, I think it's kind of probably symptomatic of a decade of underfunding of the NHS. Yeah, absolutely. Well, more than a decade. But, you know, it kind of exposed all of those cracks, basically. We, we got a lot of investment through under labour um, and um, then we hit the uh, 2010 and, and austerity and that made huge holes in, in, in the service, um, problems with recruiting. Um, you know, it, it got to the stage um, where for qualified staff, you put an advert out, you wouldn't get any replies. Even if you did get replies and managed to get a, a, a shortlist, you sit in a room for interviews and nobody turn up. Um, you know, and not even let you know that they weren't coming. <laughs> even though that's the, the easiest it's ever been. You know, how long does it take to send a text or? Yeah, 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 yeah. You would sit in the room and and that was, that was become common. So there's a lot of issue around staffing. So we're in a fairly perilous state. I mean, public health, they'd shut so many public health labs down. Um, and then all of a sudden, pandemic, there we go, we want, you know, and they, they came up with these sort of crazy arbitrary targets for testing, you know. Um, and it was an incredible struggle. And I think it was pretty bloody impressive what was was actually done by the NHS in dealing yeah. with COVID. Yeah. Um, and the real problem started to hit when... We supposedly came out the other side of COVID, except, of course, we haven't. We still haven't. Um, And you're starting to want to do all the other work again, uh, plus catch up, plus still dealing with COVID positive, positive, negative type segregations and stuff Um, from a a baseline, which was already pretty. (laughs) And and that's where I, you know, I said before we started that, you know, I ran out of steam and I'm I'm not alone. There's a lot of 
staff who who are anywhere near retirement have Jumped. tried to get through to the, to the other side of COVID uh, uh, when they feel that they've you know done their contribution and just said sorry guys I'm I'm, I'm out of here you know yeah um, yeah and oh, I, I, that staffing is is a huge huge issue now and is and is there's no signs that it's going to be um a lot better anytime soon and that has been mistakes made by government in not putting the time and effort into into nhs workforce yeah. i mean fun, fun, funding nursing um properly and, that, and making sure I, they don't have to work care shifts is uh yeah they <laughs> removed the bursary from nursing and made it a standard degree with with um HGE funding at that point they're already short of nurses. we're losing nurses <laughs> even more difficult and, and, and less attractive yeah. stunning you know yeah. what do they start on the the salary you start on is ridiculously low as well isn't it like the first kind of few years 20 23 i think is band band five i feel yeah it's it's not it's quite quite happy, it? you know, okay. apart from from um sort of very senior managers and and, and uh, some of the doctors you know nobody's gonna be in the yeah. nhs for the for the pay. <laughs> um, i think it's fair to say yeah um, yeah you know i went i went 10 years without any pay rise yeah at all <laughs> um, because the only thing they did was um, it, 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 um, uh, leave it so that your increment was effectively, you know, your only way of of getting getting a pay rise for for a long time. Then they scrapped a lot of the increments, um, <laughs> and um, suddenly, you know, we we oh, you're going to get a pay rise, and they did the classic thing that they like to do nowadays, where they give you oh, we're giving you I don't know six percent. Yeah. But that's six percent over three years, you know. So actually, seventy <laughs> you know? percent, um, and and that's something they seem to like to do now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the pay's not fantastically attractive. Yeah. Um, it's you know stressed and tough uh, work. I mean, I, I was lucky. I only spent a relatively short periods of time in full PPE on an ICU. Bloody horrible absolutely horrible you know you sweat literally running down your arms and filling your gloves up you know disgusting <laughs> um, to do that on 12-hour shifts you know yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, bloody hell you know it's still be better than that's the smart price beer that i reckon we've got we've got a lot of staff who are incredibly traumatized by it you know you know, they think, oh, well, all, all NHS staff must be used to p- patients dying. Well, yeah, they are, but not at the rate they did during COVID. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, uh, it's a real shock. And the same for, for care homes, you know. The, knowing that you could catch the same virus that just yeah. killed all those people that you've just seen. Oh, I, I, unbelievable. And the, and the lack of mental health support for everyone. I mean, you've already got a mental health service that's creaking under the pressure of being underfunded. And then you whack a load of seriously traumatised because it's not. I mean, I, I used to work for a bereavement charity, so have some insight into bereavement. And I wouldn't describe being exposed to that kind of environment as a quote unquote standard bereavement. Um, they may not be people that you're particularly close to, but when you're watching several people die every day, it's, it's going to be a little bit hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. It, 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 the, the NHS is is in a bit of a, a bit of a state, and of course, 
the other the other lack of investment which is really biting very hard now is is in social care um you know and perversely the the, the whole thing about you know trusts and everything and having um financial decisions made locally for your local thing it never really worked particularly well for trusts to use a quote from when i was in um uh, being a governor in a local school the head there said about academies you know that, that you were given freedom to do exactly what you were told and it's a bit like that with, <laughs> with, with trusts you know in theory you had all this freedom to do things but in practice not particularly yeah but local authorities actually were in a position to to be more local and more receptive to local decision making and local local planning because they had their funding chomped away so they ended up closing a lot of social care provision in in, in uh, council uh, care homes and uh, council uh, daycare facilities and and all the rest of it huge reduction in all of that and then lo and behold uh, community hospitals again heavily hit so the number of beds has dropped quite dramatically. So just locally here, I can't remember the exact figures, but we were talking somewhere in the region of 400 odd beds when yeah. I started here back in the 1990s, and that's dropped down to like 200 beds. Well, the population's gone up quite a lot. <laughs> we've shut all these care homes. We've reduced the number of community beds. You know, again, it doesn't take a genius to work out that there's a bit of a problem here. Yeah. And you know, it's really hitting home now. But you hear constantly about stories about, you know, the failure of ambulance services. Well, you know, what are they supposed to do? Drive off to pick up somebody else when they've already got somebody in the ambulance, you know? Yeah. You know, so that lack of investment. And the trouble is none of it's going to be fixed quickly. Yeah. But they yeah. really need to start looking at it. So, for instance, to my mind, what you should be doing is more integration, which does actually finally appear to be happening. But where you've got care homes that are struggling and closing, they should be being taken over by local authorities. Yeah. So we've got beds to get these people out to. Um, I know certainly locally, um, the, 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 the trust here, the acute trust runs a service for uh, urgent care. So, where somebody hasn't got their care package uh, organised, that team steps in so they can still go and they will fill the gap until the um, care team is, is, is set up. And likewise, mm. if somebody's um, um, maybe bedridden and their carer is their husband or wife and that husband or wife ends up in hospital, normally the person in the bed's going to end up in hospital as well because there's nobody yeah. set up to yeah, care yeah. for them. So again, similarly, this team can step in until that person's either back out of hospital and able to do what they were doing or um, uh, a care provision package is, is, is put together for that person. Yeah. So it's that sort of thing, actually, that will make the biggest impact. And that's relatively simple and straightforward. We don't need yet another bloody acronym of some, you know, restructuring, <laughs> some massive amount of money to be spent shuffling around. You just need people to be able to prov really provide the local provision that's needed and for it to be properly funded. Yeah. And that is, does mean that people are going to have to have some, uh, you know, acceptance of the fact that they, we're going to have to pay some more in taxes and things. 
But at the end of the day, it's still a political decision and we could be spending a lot more. I mean, we spent a vast amount on healthcare during COVID, yeah. the worst aspects of COVID. We could be spending more uh, on healthcare. That's a political choice of where they're spending their money, whether it's on HS2 or a load well, of... You've, you've only got to see look at the reaction to the Russia-Ukraine war and the way that we're kind of handling the shortage of gas to see that, you know, all of the money decisions are very firmly political because we're not doing what the other European countries are doing. We're we're looking to basically bankroll a whole load of energy companies with taxpayers' money. It's just, yeah, absolutely fucking bizarre. We had the new policy, haven't you? Bankers bonus. Bankers bonuses. Oh, Jesus Christ. Jess, what we need is to get the economy moving. Get in. <laughs> GDP. Yes, GDP. Right, it's just. It's laughable. It's, it's very difficult not to get incredibly depressed about everything that's happened in the last few years, in particular. Yeah. Um, and I, I would like to think that there's, you know, two years and we can start to see a, a turnaround, but. I think to go off a, 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 a real tangent, I think unless we get something like PR in um, and and are able to get a, a more sensible, less swinging around um, type of uh, political system in place um, where we can perhaps have less uh, short-termism as well, um, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult to see um, any great improvements happening but i think the key thing is going back to what we were saying earlier that people need to to really wake up and, and value the nhs and, and stand up for it and be aware more of what's what's going on uh, yeah. and to what degree privatize i mean you know, there's one pr- private element of the nhs that a lot of people don't realize and that's the fact that gps have never been nhs employees you know they're all private businesses yeah um, yeah they're, they're embedded in the NHS to a great extent, but actually they're all private uh, businesses and, and have been. So, you know, we've, we've had a private element within the NHS, but that's very heavily regulated. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm not saying that there's nothing for private business to be involved, but at the end of the day, I just feel very uncomfortable with any connection between profit and healthcare. Yeah, um, I, th- I think... I think philosophically i think anything that is essential education healthcare anything that's kind of fundamental to running a society you cannot touch it with capitalism because it inevitably breaks down if if your profit is money it's going to fuck you yeah uh, but even the capitalists don't think about that well if you keep the person healthy and at least then you can keep fucking them over when he's working or if he's working, you know, that they'll actually pay dividends, this, you know, the short termism. So I think actually I could probably pitch to Liz here that accurately funding, you know, keeping her on next week. She's saying, you know, you can keep, you know, you know, fucking over over there in that corner there, but just keep, keep, keep the person alive, please, please. And you need dedication to rip those kids away from the destitution that they've been lived in. You know, you have to, yeah, you have to try and get them out, and is a yeah, all those should be untouchable, hundred percent. But that's a big strand of the NHS that has is probably not given the uh, um, again the investment and weight that it should, which is the is the health, you know, national health service is supposed to be a, a lot more about prevention and 
Uh, and again, looking at all those health inequalities and doing doing work around that, you know, so similarly to what you're saying in a way is that, you know, investment in, in preventing poverty uh, and in closing, in closing the income gaps will have a tremendous effect on uh, on health. Um, That's a much know, better way of putting it than David's <laughs> what I said. You can go on question time, I'll just stay behind the curtain. <laughs> Uh, no, it's a, it's a solid That's, point. Yeah, uh, but, um, they've been lobby, lobbied by some pretty big corporate mega oh, mega folks yeah. the back there, and no, well, we have no idea what goes on, do we? Let's be honest. Well, I think you know. I, uh, I've seen. Reports, I've I've not checked this in any way, but apparently the guy who's just been um, put in place as the deputy of the uh, NHS executive is uh, got big links with. American healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. he's, he's, it's hard to think if that's really the case that if he sat in a meeting and he's thinking, you know, all well, these changes would, would make it more accessible to uh, that company. Um, yeah. Let's yeah. not do that. <laughs> <laughs> that pops into his mind. I might be being unfair. But, um, you know, if nothing else, it's a, it's a mindset that that style of uh, healthcare provision is is a good thing yeah. i think i think somebody running it to be where they want them to be i think for me like the views of the people are sort of the main thing that could actually make a difference because you know i mean i'm pretty sure i think i i think i unironically bashed my pans once and then the next week just felt deeply uncomfortable and then a few weeks later woke up and realized how fucking ridiculous it all was but when you have the monarch die and you see over the last week, you know, the reaction to that, I feel like there's been carte blanche written for issues like this, where, you know, if, if she was to squeeze through some private deals of the NHS right now, it's going to go right under the radar. Um, there's just been some deals struck on um, some reopening the shale um, gas contracts. Yeah. Oh yeah, she wants to start fracking, didn't she? Yeah. Bring on the tremors. But bizarrely, <laughs> if you saw the first question, uh, Prime Minister's question time, um, in March, Kwasi Kartang made some very good points of why that's a bad idea, <laughs> which, which Keir Starmer did actually uh, read out to her. <laughs> but it doesn't matter anymore, does it? This is the weird thing with the political discourse. No. You can literally say, you said this. Here are the minutes of that said meeting. But it doesn't matter. They'll stand up and say, what we're doing for this country is focusing on resolves. A publication myth-busting about fracking um, and made some very good points as to why it's just not a great idea and it's not actually going to be an economically viable thing. Yeah. Um, but... And oddly, I don't really know who she thinks that's that's going to appeal to. But, <laughs> you know, maybe it's just a distraction. It sounds like she's doing something a bit like when she was foreign secretary and she was going and rolling over all these deals and making out that she was, um, you know, Deeply involved negotiating new ones. And yeah. it, you know, no, she was just rolling over. So it made it look like she was doing something, which I think was a big part of why she appealed to the uh the conservative yeah, members Tory member yeah yeah she was delivering <laughs> yeah no exactly exactly it, once but thrice 
Fucking hell. It is horrifically depressing. How do you um, answer this question then? All right. So how can you? It's it's quite well known. The NHS is the golden goose, obviously, or the sacred cow of the UK. Generally, it's it is held in high regard. So how can you vote conservative if you want to protect the NHS? How can you find that compatibility in your head? Is it possible, or is it just complete like dissonance? I I think. There is some cognitive dissonance there, but I think it's helped by the fact that, you know, people, you know, retired army generals get very upset when their local community hospital is being shut um, and will, you know, it will be out there waving the banners and what have you. But when it's being taken over by a private company, because it's still there and it's still apparently going to be available to them, that the, there's not the reaction. You know? yeah. particularly if it's not terribly apparent that that's what's going on um you know maybe they do it in as a, a collaborative thing or something um so in which case you know they don't they don't necessarily see an issue with that maybe that's even portrayed as saving that that facility facility you know so it's all it's all a good thing oh look you know we've managed to do this yeah the, the, the fact that um you know it, it's not actually going to deliver what you think <laughs> when it actually comes down to it um it's a bit late once it's it's all happened yeah yeah and then and then when it all does all fuck up it can be blamed on nhs middle management and and kind of i, I feel like the bureaucracy thing is a is a kind of there's probably some validity to it but i think a lot of the time it gets wheeled out as as the kind of you know the, the evil devil they um I, I've, I don't know whoever wants to be an NHS manager because you get it from all sides. So the, you know, particularly when I started, you know, you had consultants that had trained in the in the 1930s or whatever, you know, um, kicking around. And it's how very much they're a, a bean counter tell me what I can and cannot do. Yeah. Um, um, clinical decisions making is, is mine and I've decided that I'm going to do that. You know, so you would have consultants who would decide that they would know they were going, even though you've done a contract for this particular bit of kit across the whole thing. No, no, I, I don't use those. I'm, I'm using this and they're allowed to go ahead and do that because that's clinical. Yeah. Um, so they're getting it from that side. And then, yeah, the, the easy target every time anything happens is, Oh, managers, man, you bloody need managers, you know, yeah. do you really want clinical people, you know, doing all the, all the, all those backroom functions and, and meetings decision making you know yeah. um no it doesn't make any sense and we've always had um admin and management and you know finance people and what have you working within the nhs and they're and they're vital yeah um yeah. But what we need are good ones <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's getting battered um you know it's not a particularly attractive proposition yeah um and if we do get people from outside the NHS who haven't got an NHS background, they can be effective managers, but only if they're willing to put the work in to actually find out about the stuff, the background information they need to make an informed choice about, you know, how they're going to deal with a particular um, situation within their organisation, yeah. um, which isn't always what happens, you know. We've had this universal thing with with conservatives in particular that you know somebody's been in the army and they can run and do anything. <laughs> you know, if you remember a while ago, you know they wanted all these ex 
um, army people to go in and, and be teachers and yeah. you know they, yeah. but whatever comes up and is, is, is the problem <laughs> it seems to be that you know something from military will go in and sort it out you know well, there's a distinct uh, lack of florists such as the, the, the tanks turn up yeah. I can arrange flowers but um, yeah it's it, I think we need we need to just to stick up for it and to be a little bit more on the critical thinking about these stories and information that's that's out there and it's so difficult now with social media and 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 all the rest of it that you know you, you they can chuck out all this information um and, and it can be picked up by uh by the likes of your, your daily mails and all the rest of it um uh, and, and people will take that on board and think it's true you know the old bendy banana scenario you know yeah, it's you take the critical thinking there is such a important but a lacking skill unfortunately i think you know years ago um when i saw critical thinking as a as an option to 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 do at school and you know i was thinking i was was looking at it and thinking really but actually i think it's such a fundamental thing i think it really should be taught those are the fucking things they teach and eat and isn't it and public speaking and debating (laughs) and all this and it, it should be really embedded in 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 education because I think it's becoming ever more important yeah. to try and, you know, pick out the wheat from the jaff type, uh, you know, and really engage your brain a bit uh, with yeah. it. Um, but there we go. Yeah. No, I, th- I think um, you need to make an informed choice in the, in the voting base. I think that that's, I'm sort of hoping that something horrific happens and, and she just, you know, she's, I don't think she has the Teflon ability that Johnson had, and I'm sincerely hoping that over the next six months to a year, something awful happens and she's unable to handle it. I mean, the way that um, there's today, um, the UK's time period in which to response to in respond to the EU legal action over the North Northern Ireland Protocol is elapsing today. So we'll find out tomorrow what that means and. Maybe, who knows, maybe the Northern Ireland situation will blow up and then she'll be able to fuck up that. And maybe we'll be able to vote her out. But, um, Unfortunately, choice of uh, turn <laughs> phrase there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, in a way, she's already done it. I mean, they, the, the, the choice of getting everybody to pay rather than the uh, energy companies to pay uh, for the uh, for the price cap is, is a biggie, really. Um, because bonuses, that's I'm 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 ter- I'm terrified that like I mean it may maybe maybe in a few weeks' time we'll we'll start to see the kind of the effects of that because I feel like these bankers' bonuses, um, gas, you know, the energy crisis and the um, what's the other one, <laughs> bank bankers' bonus, energy crisis and the show the fracking. I feel like those three are being shielded by our media's focus on the queue. Have you got you guys seen the queue? Yeah. To see the queen. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, a, a Republican and, I, I, you know, the royal family has never made any sense to me uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, at all. Um, yeah. Why somebody born into a, into a particular family suddenly you know gets all this deference and all the rest of it it just 
Seems no insane. inheritance tax either. Passed everything to Charles. <laughs> yeah, forget about that. Five percent. Nah, just for those minions <laughs> over there. I have nothing against the Queen as an individual, and I think she's yeah, you know, as trapped in it as as anybody. And and you know, bloody amazing. She was still. You know, imagine one of the last things you had to do was to to, to chat to Buddy Johnson and. <laughs> yeah, no. Speak to that fucking um, zombie droid thing. Yeah, um, you know. So I think she did, she she did as well as you can do in you know. But the whole institution it just seems absolutely nuts to me. And yeah. and and on a more serious note, you know, if you're ever going to hope to have some sort of meritocracy, you can't you can't have that because that's the sort of pinnacle of of the opposite, really. Privilege, <laughs> you know, unearned merit you know and it's just it's it's insane um so yes all of the stuff it's just endless like you say you know hours of interviewing people in the queue and interviewing people who might be going in the queue and people who once met somebody who was in the queue i mean it just gets ridiculous (laughs) oh well bring bringing us uh back to the nhs so we normally do uh, a final thought and i thought that it wouldn't make any sense giving me or debbie the final thought so do you, would you would you fancy taking a seat for the? What do you feel final better, thought? David, or do you feel worse? That's the yeah, that, that is a big fucking question. <laughs> <laughs> do we have to have a safe space after this? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it is probably that. You know, we really need people to value the NHS and and stand up for the NHS. Otherwise, we are all fucked. <laughs> what did you even well, tell well you put, to say well that? Put. That's beautiful. <laughs> Very smooth. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well, you so much for coming on, David. Thank you. Yeah, Pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you.